0: What's up guys? Thanks for coming to our Kyle and Miss You podcast. Here you will find resources to help you grow in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility so you can learn to love Jesus, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. Thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoy. So anyways, um, let's pray and get started. Um, Jesus, we need you here with us. Yes. I pray that these would be your words and not mine. The that are not yours would fall to the ground, Jesus. I pray that you help us to be awake and attentive and focused. And Jesus, I pray that you help us to see what you want us to see and to do what you want us to do. May you be Lord of all <coughs> in every way. Amen. Amen. Cool. So I was writing the sermon earlier. And I was pondering about the nature of things that are good. And, you know, I think it's been a colder in summer than usual, but when I walk outside and I feel the warmth of the sun in the summer, I can't help but think of all the things that you can only do when it's summer, when it's warm. I think of barbecues and pool parties, and I realize how good the summer really is. But summer isn't good for everything, is it? Um, don't get me wrong, summer has its charms and its perks, but can you imagine waking up on Christmas day and it's 100 degrees outside? it would be a bummer. Personally, my favorite time of the year is the fall. Um, I love seeing all the leaves on the ground and football season and the time for new friends and uh, new adventures and new hobbies, a small group getting started. And I see that the fall too is a gift from God. But even though fall is my favorite time of year, it can't last forever. There's only so many leaves that can fall, only so short the day can get before it gets too cold and you've got to go inside and enjoy winter break and the holidays with family. You see, God gives us many good things, but they're good at different times, and they're good for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. What foolishness it would be to sit around and wish for the fall all spring, just to turn around and wish for the spring when it finally becomes fall. The key to gratitude is to realize what good things God is giving you right now, and to enjoy them with all your heart. That's good. So tonight, I'm going to talk about a thing that is good, but for many of us, it might be starting to change seasons a little bit. I'm going to talk to you about your relationship with your family. Now, family is something that was meant to be good. I know that when I say that, some of you look at your family. And you know that it is not what it should have been. You feel in your heart a longing for something that was not the way God intended it to be. And that longing that you feel is actually a good thing. Realizing that things are not the way they are meant to be in the world should motivate you to seek out and find the one thing in all the world that really is right and good. Now for others, family was and is a very good thing. But even if your family is wonderful, as you get older, your relationship with your family should start to change a little bit. Um, you'll always love your family, of course, and you should cherish your time with them. But the way you relate to your parents and siblings as 7 years old or 10 or 15 should start to change when you turn 18 and 19 and 20. Your family experiences as a child are meant to be good for you, even if they weren't. But in a different way that your family experiences as an adult should be just like summer is good for pool parties and winter is better for Christmas. And this was so even for Jesus, even to the cross, Jesus loved his mother dearly, but even Jesus's family growing up was not always what it was meant to be. And there was a time when something shifted in his relationship with him, and that's what I kind of want to look at tonight in our scripture. We're gonna be reading from Mark chapter three, verses 20 and 21, and then we're gonna jump to verses 31 through 35. To give you a little context, in this passage, Jesus' ministry just started, it's beginning to pick up. Jesus just chose his 12 disciples, his closest followers, and he's starting to preach, and people are starting to notice him. And a crowd is starting to gather, the Pharisees are they just finished accusing him of being demon possessed. Uh, people wanted to kill him. And Mary, Jesus' own mother, and his little brothers, uh, are starting to worry about him. So here's what happened. Let's welcome Christian up to read our scriptures. He's right here. <laughs> the house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went uh, to, to take charge uh, of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting there around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my brother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in circled around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Um, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Yeah. Uh, sounds- now, this sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Um, can you imagine what Jesus' mother and brothers thought when he left them standing outside? They come all this way and Jesus left them out there. Now, anytime Jesus does something that you or I don't understand, we have to remember that Jesus was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When there's a difference between Jesus' words and actions and ours, we must realize that the fall is in our judgments, not his. Yeah. So, why did Jesus do this? Now, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. Jesus did not always act the way he acted in tonight's scriptures. The first time Jesus is seen interacting with his family is in Luke chapter 2. You can look that up later if you want to. Uh, He was 12 years old and his family went to the temple to celebrate this Passover feast. And there was some miscommunication. So his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, had lost track of where Jesus was. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph and Joseph thought he was with Mary traveling with the women. So they had traveled three days going back to Nazareth where they lived before they realized that he wasn't with either of them. And when they came back to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple courts learning from the teachers and asking questions. And when they found him, he was very respectful and submissive. He told them that he was in the father's house learning and being about his father's business. But then he turned around and he went back with them to Nazareth. Jesus modeled for us that even as the son of God, he was willing to obey his imperfect human parents. He respected them and grew as a child more and more wise and mature. But between that event and this one, a lot had happened. Uh, apparently, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had passed away since he don't hear him anywhere after this. Also, Jesus' relationship with his little brothers had turned sour. In John chapter seven, you see Jesus' four brothers making fun of him, for claiming to be the Messiah. And we know that Mary knew He was the Son of God, but Jesus' little brothers probably convinced her to come with him in this instance, to take charge of him like he take charge of a crazy person. And Mary went along with it, probably because she was worried about him. When Jesus was younger, someone had come up to Mary and told her a sword is going to pierce your soul. And so she may have already been aware or suspected that Jesus' ministry would result in him getting hurt in some way. And so in coming along with her sons to stop him from ministering, she might have thought, maybe I can protect him. So when you consider all these details and everything that was going on in his family, it becomes more clear why Jesus reacted the way he did. Just as Jesus modeled obedience and honor to his parents when he was a child, he models for us what it should be like to relate to your family as an adult. Now, Jesus had waited 30 years to launch his ministry. None of us were even that old. The whole time, he learned the scriptures of the Old Testament, he prayed and grew in intimacy with his father, he watched the way the Pharisees Oppressed the people with their extra rules that didn't matter, and he didn't say anything. He submitted to his parents, he worked patiently and quietly as a carpenter, and all this time he's thinking about the truths that he would one day preach and the things he would do to set it right. He formed his worldview and his doctrine. But now, it was time. There's was time for his ministry to start. Now was the time where it really was time to say something about the injustices and make right the wrongs and to rally the people together for his cause. He knew that he had three years to change the world forever. Three years to make his disciples. He would take the gospel to the whole world. The world literally depends on it. And now his family was coming to stop him and bring him home. So Jesus said to the crowd, Who are my mother and my brothers? You are Whoever does God's will is my new family. Jesus loved his family, but his devotion to his Father in heaven was first, even before them. Jesus' mission to do the will of the Father was the most important thing about his life. And he was willing to set boundaries, even with his own family, to make sure he followed through with it. Jesus' brothers and Mary... He needed to know that he was not going to bend to their expectations of what he should or should not do, what he should or should not say, and how he should or should not spend his time. He had a mission to accomplish, and he could not let anyone or anything get in the way or stop him. Now, one of the biggest reasons that many people fail to understand adulthood is that we fail to see our sense of responsibility to God. Your whole life, your whole life, from the time you were born, God has been preparing you to know Him and to be a part of His mission. That's it. God does not just make us adults so we can finally enjoy ourselves with no supervision. He does not only prepare us to get an education so we can go to work until we die or to have uh Marriage and then have kids, so they can have a marriage and have kids, and then they can get married and have kids in this endless cycle. Yes, we do all of these things, and that's a part of God's plan, but that's not the whole plan. God's plan for your life is for you to know Him, yeah. to know the ultimate love that holds the whole universe together, yeah. and once you know it. Share that same love that you've received with the whole world. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's it. To this day, Jesus is trying to reach the whole world with the gospel, and he's reached some of you, and he's reached me, but he's not finished yet. Jesus, his whole life, his face, his eyes, they burned with purpose to find every lost sheep, to search for every lost coin, to be the older brother that brought. Every lost son home to be welcomed by the Father. Do you see what God is asking you to do? Some of you have experienced the truth of the gospel that has changed your life. And there are people on our campus, our campus, in our city, living and working near you who have not heard or who have the wrong ideas and attitudes towards God. There are many people who claim to know God in America, but don't really know him at all. And it gives Jesus a bad name. We need to be the ones that show those who don't know him that Jesus, the real Jesus, is really worth knowing, that the life he lived and the things he said are worth looking into, and that Jesus himself is a person that is worth following. (coughs) Jesus has been training you, just as he trained his twelve disciples, to go and reach them. You are meant to be his ambassadors, to speak on his behalf, to clear things up, to make them make sense. But there are many things that often distract us. We want to date and get married and have a family. We want to have perfect grades. We want to spend our time and our money on our interests and our hobbies. But what about God? What about knowing him? What about God's family that he cares about? What about... God's approval of us? What about God's great interest in the world and lost people? See, your life, your life is not about you. Your life is about God. Yeah. And this is right, and that is just. Yeah. Because your life was given to you. You didn't make yourself live. You didn't have a plan before you were born of what was going to happen. What was going to matter? Yeah. God chose to make you. And He had a reason in mind. You didn't just come from nowhere. No one can come from nowhere. Yeah. God has constructed every moment of your life, every detail about it, to try to show you that He loves you and to try to live with you. That's the truth. Yeah. And the same way that He feels about you, He feels that same way about everybody else in the whole world. Can you imagine caring that much? About anything? If your life is not lived for God but for yourself, then you are missing out on the very thing that you were created for. And life will never be truly happy and fulfilled until you give it to Him because He's worthy. Mm -hmm. And if you claim to love Jesus but your life is not lived to make Jesus known among the nations, then you are living foolishly. You are building a house of cards. You're building a castle in the sand, and one day it will crash to the ground in nothing, when you realize that the things that you're running after won't last, or when you just ran out of time. And that's sad, but it's true. And I would be unloving not to tell you, And if your purpose in life is different from God's purpose for your life, then your relationships will never be what God meant for them to be like. We're talking about relationships this summer. This is the thing we have to get right if we want them to go well. For some of us, we have an amazing family and it's easy to want to spend lots of time with them. And there's nothing wrong with spending time with your family, but sometimes we have to make sacrifices for the things and are important to us. If you go home all weekend, every weekend, to see your parents and your siblings, how are you going to make your small group feel like a family too? When you only see those guys or those girls on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Sometimes you have to choose to go home much less often so you can do what the Lord is asking you to do. Yeah. If your family is in town, you might have to go and see them for just a few hours on the weekend rather than the whole weekend. If your family is out of town, you might have to go see them something like every three weeks or every four weeks rather than every other weekend so that you can make your small group your family for these short periods of time that you have to pour into them. If your life is really about making Jesus known and you only have 16 weeks and a semester To show these people what Jesus looks like, you really want to be gone for half of the weekends. If this is really the thing that you love, and that you think about, For some people, you might have a family that it's not what it was meant to be. And they don't really understand anything that you're doing. They might think it's dumb that you're spending so much time with the campus ministry. They might think that you've lost your mind going and making a small group of strangers and new friends to try to tell them about Jesus, just like Jesus' brothers thought he had lost his mind. What will you do when your family and God have different expectations about you? This won't always happen, but sometimes it does. And when it does, who gets their way? If we want to follow Jesus, sometimes that means we must be willing to set boundaries, even with our families. What does your family expect from you when it comes to how you manage your time? Do they want you to spend all your time studying or working? (coughs) Certainly there's nothing wrong with working hard or getting good grades, you should do those things. But if the difference between someone being saved or living on without Jesus after college Is the difference between your 4.0 and your 3.7? Is it worth it to you? And will your family understand that difference? And if they don't, will you live for them or will you live to please God? Now, don't use God to be, don't use God as an excuse to be irresponsible. It doesn't honor God to be lazy or to not work or to depend on your parents forever, or to get a 1.8 GPA. (laughs) If you aren't working, but you're living off your parents' income, then they should get a say in how you spend your time. But if God is asking you to spend your time on growing his family, and he's asking you to lead a small group, then what that may mean is that you might have to move out and get a job. Not always, but sometimes and it doesn't honor God to get bad grades because you majored in Chi Alpha. You're in every Chi Alpha event in of your classes. If you do that, the good students that you meet on campus won't respect you or listen to anything you say because they'll think that to be a Christian means to be lazy. But if God is asking you to work hard and spend your time or your money on the kingdom, and it's different than how your family wants you to, are you willing to do it? Are you willing? I can assure you, if you can't obey God in the little things, you won't be able to obey Him in the big things. What if God calls you to be a missionary and go somewhere dangerous and your parents don't understand? Are you willing to put that relationship on the line to be obedient? These are hard questions, but they're real ones. Ones you might actually have to ask yourself. God will never ask you to be disrespectful to your parents. Never. But he may ask you to disagree with them. And when you become an adult, when you turn 18, especially when you become financially independent, you will be responsible for your own choices. You must decide why you do the things you do. Who you do them for And nobody can make you You have to be the one To decide what's important to you And live accordingly Personally I got really lucky with my family I was blessed With parents that love the Lord They taught me the Bible They helped me to be disciplined and they took care of me And they taught me many Good things and although Our family wasn't perfect It is very very good my mom particularly loved spending time with me. And so, we always played lots of board games growing up and watched lots of movies and friends, a TV show. And uh, when, I, when I moved out, when I had 18 or more credit hours in the semester, when I started leading a small group, she wanted me to come over at least once a week. And sometimes, even when I would come over once a week, she wanted me to come even more than that. And there's nothing wrong with her wanting or expecting that. But I knew that if if I wanted to do what the Lord was asking me to do, then I had to limit my time at home. I had to schedule it. I had to make my home at the Kyle house a place for unsaved friends to come and have a home because some of them had never had one. And it wasn't a fun conversation to tell my mom I couldn't be there as much as she wanted me to. But guess what? Over time, our relationship didn't get worse because of this. It got better. She knows what I spend my life doing and she supports me in it. When I go home, we have a great time together. This weekend, we went and played board games all day on Saturday. It was a lot of fun, but it was a time that I could actually do it and be responsible. And I do get to see my family often. Just not always the minute that I feel like going over there. The minute they want me to be there. If we want to live for God, we must be about our Father's business. God has a purpose for our family and for all our relationships. All of them. From the beginning of the Bible, before there was the church, before there were governments, before there were institutions and Countries, the formational institution in the world, was marriage and family. Towards the very beginning of the story, when God wanted to speak to the whole world about who he was, he chose Abraham and his family. A family. And the Jewish people, the nation of Israel who descended from him, were always meant to be an example to the rest of the world, and it's only because they never lived up to what a family is supposed to look like that the other nations never got a picture of what God is like. Generation after generation, the people of God did not act like the people of God. And the people who did not know God looked at them and saw that poor example. But God is not like those people. When Jesus came, He expanded the family of God to include non Jewish people, to include us. So we are the church. We are the body of Christ in the world, the physical representation of who He is. We are now the family that is meant to point the whole world to who God is. And the family was always meant to be a symbol that points to something greater than just the family. Yeah. It's really interesting. The commands honor. Father and Mother is the tank, in the Ten Commandments is the only one that comes with the promise that most of the time the reward is a long life. Isn't that cool? God values family. Family is so good but family is not ultimate. And many of us know that because we've experienced the kind of family that is isn't Ultimate. Just like everything in the world, your family is a reflection of the heart of the most beautiful person that exists in the whole world. But when that reflection becomes blurry, you lose the picture <coughs> of the reflection. Some of you know too well that just as much as your family has the capacity to fill you up with every good thing as a kid, it also has the potential to hurt you more deeply than almost anyone else can some of you have been hurt deeply if that's you I want you to know that Jesus sees all the pain that you've experienced every little bit of it and he was with you the whole time crying with you and Jesus wants to restore you and heal you have you been through those roots in fact even though some of your family might have beaten you, Jesus took a beating for you. If some of your parents ignored you and didn't pay attention to you, Jesus is always listening to you. He's ready to spend time with you if you listen to him and give him that time. In fact, he's calling out to you right now. If some of your family told you that you are never going to amount to anything, Jesus wants to tell you he believes you're very special and that you really can't change the world. If some of your family abandoned you, I want you to know that Jesus will never leave you, even if you try to leave him. Yeah. If some of your family has torn you down, Jesus wants to restore you and lift you up. And he doesn't only want to restore you, He also wants to restore your family. If you'll be patient, if you'll give your life to the Lord, if you'll be the example, in time, Jesus will change your family. He'll make it more like what you always hoped and always dreamed it could be. Gradually. But it takes time. You have to be patient. God would invite you to reconcile with Him and to embrace this new family that God has given you with your brothers and sisters in Christ. In the meantime, while things really aren't how they should be in your your own family, you can find so much that you've missed in real Christian friends, that don't shy away from it, seek it out. These people really will care, care for you. Many people who find themselves hurt deeply by their families can find in Christ a sense of fulfillment acceptance from the people of God that they never even realized that they needed so badly we ought to be there for one another and love one another and include one another on purpose we need to be the family to be lonely to those who have never seen what family looks like real family and for those of us who have great families we have to keep family in its right place well, we too will lose the reflection of Jesus that we've always enjoyed. When anything becomes more important to you than serving God, it becomes an idol. When there's a line between serving God and serving your family's expectations of you, you must choose God or you are sinning. One man in the book of Luke came to Jesus and asked to follow him. when Jesus said, yes, he said, okay, great, let me wait for my parents to die and then i will come follow you. So Jesus said, Let well, the dead bury their own dead, but well, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man came in and said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And Matthew said, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus' followers in the Bible literally had to leave their families forever to follow him. Nearly all of them died a horrible death But they gained a spectacular resurrection. And for eternity. Now, are you willing to do what they did? Jim and Elizabeth Elliott were willing to. They went to an unreached tribe of people where they knew that everyone who had gone there as a missionary before had been killed, and yet they still went. But Jim was killed as soon as they arrived. And Elizabeth stayed and ministered to the very people who killed her husband, and they got saved. But it was only because she loved Jesus more than her husband. And only because they both loved Jesus more than they loved each other. You're willing to do that. If your dating relationship, if your future marriage isn't like that, it's not worth having. You will one day be the one starting the family. What will it look like? Will it be marked by a love and service for Jesus always? Or will it be marked by compromise, comfort, and self-preservation? I remember going to Derek and Natalia Lynn's house every week when they were on staff here, and there was a sign in their living room that says, a missionary is someone who leaves their home so that others can find theirs. And it dawned on me one day the only reason really we're all here is because this team of 10 people cared about us enough to move 12 hours away from all their friends and family work. But now look at us. A new family exists here that would not have existed otherwise. There's a promise for those who love the Lord more than anything else. It's a beautiful promise. It says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, brothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said, Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus shows us that ultimately our family is meant to be bigger than just those who are related to us. But yeah. if we want to be a part of it, we have to be We have to do God's will. The loyalty that you feel towards your family, the way you respect your parents, and you feel that they've given everything for you the unique kinship that you feel toward your siblings, those are all beautiful things. They're reflections of what the whole family of God should feel like. The family of God is meant to include every true follower of God in every nation, tribe, and every tongue. Imagine all the human race living together as one giant family, loving one another perfectly, perfectly loyal to one another, honoring and cherishing Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us so that we can all be together again. But we aren't there yet. We're missing too many brothers and sisters. Our kaiophon is missing too many chemistry majors, and athletes, and people in fraternities and sororities, because we haven't gone out of our way to find them, and feed them the word of God, and fight for them to know Jesus. Our family is missing the Iranians, and the Chinese, and the Moroccans, even though they are literally on our campus here in Las Cruces, because we have not invited them to the family dinner. While Jesus asks us in some ways to distance ourselves from our natural families, it is always to bring an even wider, deeper family together. We were once the ones that were distant from God, and he pursued us, and came to earth and lived among us. We were confused about the way life works, and he showed us the truth. We had rebelled against God and had our hearts set on running from him and trying to make our own way and find our own happiness. But Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. And in spite of all this, Jesus still wants us, and he still invites us. Jesus left his family So that we could be joined to his. And we too must leave our families to invite others into the ultimate one. I'm going to give you four ways to respond tonight. And I'll put a slide up at the end so you know you can kind of look back over it. But you might need to respond to just one of them, or you might need to respond to three or four. First, if you've never joined the family of God want to invite you to do so, what you need to know is that Jesus loves you, and he wants to be with you. In fact, it's the very reason why you exist. You really need to give your life to him, and you've got to be willing to do whatever he says. He gets to be the boss, because he really is. But first, you need to come to him. You need to talk to him. You need to let him know that you're sorry for running from him all these years and for doing so many things that have broken his heart and then become part of the family. When God's family from all over the world lives together perfectly, will you be there? Will you be part of it? It's whoever does God's will. It's whoever is willing to love him back. Come and meet some of these friends who really love you and they will love you the way that you wish your family would have. Because Jesus has already shown them love in this way. Talk to God and let him know that you want to be with him. So that's the first one. Secondly, if you're listening and you're thinking, my family growing up was not what it was meant to be, I want to invite you to do a few things. First, I want to invite you to think of the way that you've caused your family to be less than what it was meant to be. The ways you've caused it. Then I want you to make plans within this week to go and apologize and make things right with them. And then, if you've hurt your family and done things to make it less like a family, I want to challenge you to work on those relationships. And then also to forgive them. If you grew up in any family, you're probably hurt by them in lots of ways. Even if your family was great, you can probably think of lots of things that hurt you that your parents said or did or your siblings, or maybe both. If we're going to represent Christ, we can't have bitterness in our hearts. Yeah. Even if they aren't sorry, you need to truly forgive them from your heart because you're hurting you and not them. You might need to tell them that you, uh, that you forgive them and actually tell them. And you definitely need to pray for blessings in their life and even for their salvation if they don't know God. Make a commitment to serving them loving them even if they don't treat you the same way back ever. So that's the second thing. Think about your family. Reconcile, forgive, and serve. Now, the third way I want to give you an opportunity to respond is to set your priorities straight. If there's a boundary you haven't been setting with your family, you need to ask God what to do and seek out some advice from a trusted mentor. Navigating family relationships when it comes to priorities is hard. And can be difficult to know exactly how to do it but as a disciple of Christ we must do it so talk with someone tonight before you leave about how to approach the situation what barrier do you need to set up so you can be obedient to God what expectation do you need to set right and how can you com- communicate that expectation in a way that is kind and respectful and reflective of who Jesus is and how he would communicate and fourth lastly If you haven't been taking responsibility for God's family, I want to invite you to make a commitment before God and before your brothers and sisters that you will do whatever it takes to learn to be a soul winner. This is one of the most challenging but rewarding things that you'll ever do. Ask the Lord to make you wise and obedient and be willing to take every step that He tells you to make. Again, you'll need to find a mentor who will meet with you regularly. showing you what to do and how to bring people into the family of God. Don't make a commitment that you won't follow through with, but don't hesitate to make a commitment because you're more comfortable disobe- disobeying. Choose to serve the Lord and also follow through on your word. So in recap, here's a slide with all of them. Um, if you haven't already, I'm inviting you to join God's family. Make things right with your family. Three, set your priorities right, your expectations. And then four, become a soul winner. have to take a responsibility for God's family. So I'm going to play a song, and during this time you can think about it and pray, and then we'll be done. But don't hesitate to keep praying if you need to, even if everybody else is talking and going out to hang out out there. And don't leave tonight until you have all the conversations you need to, Chances are we won't do it if we live here. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you just move in this place, oh Jesus. Soften hearts that need to be softened. Help us to be obedient to everything that you're asking of us and to do and joyfully. Help us to follow through with the commitments that we make. Help us to have wisdom to know what to do in different situations. We need you, Jesus. We love you so much.